0: Hey church, I wish I was able to lick you in the face right now as I'm preaching, but um, since I can't do that, somebody came up here and stuck into Highland and gave me the next best thing. Look at who I'm preaching to today. We got Michael, we got Jim, Dwight. Y'all know I love The Office, so I'm thankful for that. Hey, I've got a special word for our seniors today. I want to talk to you graduating seniors in just a moment, but before we do that, let's dig into the Word of God. This is from Romans 8. <clears throat> For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Seniors, I want to personally congratulate you. I mean, you've been waiting a long time for this moment and you have accomplished it. And yet I want to acknowledge this is probably not the way you wanted to graduate, right? In the middle of a a global disaster like the one we're in. You've been waiting years and years for graduation ceremonies and graduation parties and senior blessings and just times with your friends sitting on the hood of a car before you all go your separate ways late in one summer evening that last summer together. And like, I know it feels like you have been robbed of those things. And I imagine there is something in this moment that feels unfulfilled. It feels incomplete. And I think Scripture speaks to that. In fact, I was going to move on to another series beginning today, and I, I revisited this story we've been looking at at the ascension of Jesus. And there was, as I, as I had you in mind, seniors, just this, this obvious word that I feel like is for you. But really, it's for anybody who's listening who has ever felt unfulfilled. So let me set the stage for this scene one more time. This is in Acts 1. This is after Jesus, who we read about in the Gospels, dies on a Roman cross, is buried for three days, and then is raised to new life. He spends a few weeks with his disciples, and then he's carried up into heaven on the clouds. And just before that, we read this last conversation he has with his disciples. This is what we read in Acts 1, starting in verse 6. Then they, his disciples, gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently, up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Do you remember that song by the country group, Little Texas? The song was called, What Might Have Been? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say most of our seniors probably don't know that song because it's from the 90s. But I can remember playing that song a lot growing up. And it's a sad song. It's about this, this man and this woman who date and then go their separate ways. And it goes like this. I try not to think about what might have been because that was then. And we have taken different roads. Ah, oh, Man, Rush, you got to stop me from singing in here, man. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. If I was reading Acts 1 and I was going to imagine a soundtrack behind this scene of Jesus' ascension, you know, I think God would choose one soundtrack, this victorious, celebratory music as his son rises to his side to be enthroned forever. But I think those disciples who were gathered there watching this would choose a song like What Might Have Been. This had to be disappointing, to them at first. And we see that in the question they asked Jesus just before he goes. They say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So part of the big Bible story is that God's people had always been waiting on a king who would take them back to their glory days, who would restore the kingdom back to how it used to be in the time of King David. And that's what they think Jesus is gonna do at least up until he's killed on a Roman cross, and then dead three days, and then raised to new life. And we think that something about that death and resurrection would have made them realize, no, God's not restoring this old thing. He's going to do something even bigger. But apparently they didn't get it. Apparently they thought to, to themselves, well, that death and resurrection was something. But are, I mean, are you going to restore things now? Jesus And the answer is no. And then Jesus leaves. I mean, talk about disappointing. Talk about dreams that are unfulfilled. And then suddenly these two men dressed in white, probably angels, show up and they have a message. And this is what they say. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. What are these angels? What are these angels doing? I think it's important to realize anytime we see angels in scripture, they are sent with a message. That's what angels are, is messengers from God. And so I want you to pay attention to what they're saying, because this is the first message that God sends to the followers of Jesus after Jesus goes. You know, this, of all the things God could say to his followers at this moment, this is the first thing he says to them. And what is it? Well, what these angels are trying to get those disciples to do is to shift their perspective from what might have been to what will be. It's this simple message, really. I want you to shift from this focus on what might have been. To what will be, and that my followers are the ones who are going to focus on what will be. Now, there's a kind of dangerous side to that last sentence I just shared that the followers of Jesus are those who focus on what will be. There, There is kind of a dangerous side and a side that I don't think those angels intended and I don't think I'm trying to say right now. In fact, I know I'm not. And that is, we're not calling you to focus so exclusively on what will be that you fail to be present in the world around you. You know, if anything, like we see in these verses we just read from Jesus and his response to the question, he is going to give his Holy Spirit to the church so that they are empowered to make a difference and witness right now. You know, the church is called to be present right now, to pay attention to what's going on in the world around us right now. In fact, we go on to read in Acts that the church turns the world upside down right now by the power of that Holy Spirit. And so that popular you know, mantra that you see tattooed on people's arms or on people's back of people's cars, on their bumpers, be present you know, the angels would actually agree with that. Yes, you need to be present. But there is this danger that when you divorce that popular mantra, be present, from the future promises of God, what you're left with is pretty hollow. Because it's really easy to be present when life is good. But how do you go about being present when life is hard? How do you, how do you, You know, make yourself be present when you've lost something you love. When you have this dream, like our seniors right now, that's going unfulfilled. Like, how do you stick it out and be present when life is tough? I mean, in those moments, what you're going to want to know is, it's not always going to be this way. And if you knew it was not always going to be this way, you could still be present. but it would change the way you are present if you believed what will be will be worth it, right? You know what we call that? You know, this this special thing that the first messengers of God to God's people after the departure of Jesus, this special thing that those messengers of God are calling us to, that ability to stay present in the world but not despair, to always have in mind what will be by the power of Jesus Christ. Do you know what we call that ability? We call it patience, patience. Now in, in the gentry household in my, in my home, patience is a bad word. So let me, let me give you kind of a, a picture in real time. Okay, this is how a conversation, a daily conversation plays out in my house. Dad, get me some milk. Dad, Dad, did you hear me? Milk, milk, Dad, milk. I need some milk. Me getting up to go get milk. Dad, where's my milk? Milk. <laughs> And then we walk back in with milk in our hands, and we say, I don't think you're being very patient. Now, now tell me what patient means. Uh, uh, no, uh, uh. Patient, what does patient mean? Uh, Dad, just give me my milk. <laughs> the answer to that question, which they'll tell you if you ask them. When you say, what does patient mean? It means wait nicely. Wait nicely. Dad, just give me my milk. Patience is a a bad word in our house. I'm reminded of Howard Thurman. Howard Thurman wrote about patience in this wonderful little piece called The Patience of Unanswered Prayer. And this is what he said about patience. He said, who is there that has not carried at a central place in his concerns the persistent hunger, sometimes dull and quiet, sometimes feverish and angry for something that has not come to pass? The hunger moves in the background all the days like the rumble of distant thunder or the far roar of the sea. Sometimes it's so close that all of life seems summarized in its urgency and its denial is the denial of life itself. Do you know what he's talking about? Do you know what it's like to have some kind of persistent hunger? Something you long for, something you desire and that hunger is not filled. He goes on to call this, and this is fascinating. He calls this hunger, the special ministry of unfulfillment. The special ministry of unfulfillment. I mean, he's saying that there is something about being hungry, about being unfulfilled that's good for you, that ministers to you. That hunger is a ministry? To me? I don't know about that. So I've been reflecting over this little piece from Thurman, the patience of unanswered prayer and his words about hunger. And I've been doing that in the morning during my prayer time. I know, super spiritual. But at night before bed, I've been ro- watching the new Michael Jordan documentary on the championships of the Chicago Bulls through that, throughout the 90s. I know not as spiritual. So Michael Jordan comes into the league in the early 80s, early mid 80s, and he's immediately a phenom. I mean, just immediately incredibly talented, but the Bulls continue to lose. They did better and better, but the stories you watch in this documentary of the 90s is of them losing again and again in the most important games and not getting to the championship. And it isn't until 1991 that they make it to the championship and face the Lakers. And I was listening to this One night this week, and I was struck by what Michael said. As he's reflecting on all these years of losing and waiting for this chance, he said this, I guess this is something I've been waiting for. Even though they, the Lakers, may have that experience, we have that hunger. Hunger, there's that that word again, that same word Thurman used. And I think you see in this basketball documentary that it was this hunger for something they hadn't yet attained that made Michael Jordan and the Bulls so great. A couple of weeks ago, I, I said LeBron James was the greatest basketball player of all time. And I have never got more comments about anything I've said in a sermon ever. Okay. A lot of you felt the need to point out no Michael Jordan is the greatest. Okay, I agree. He is. I want y'all to get as worked up about Jesus as you do about MJ, but notice, it took a while for that greatness to be realized. It was the hunger, the denial of the dream that made Michael who he was. And Thurman is not talking about basketball. And most of us can't relate with Michael Jordan becoming great. You know, most of us are not going to be Michael Jordan, but like our seniors right now, at some point in your life, you are going to experience what it's like to be unfulfilled, to have something you desire that is not yet realized. And Thurman goes on to talk about it and he says this, he says, it may be that the persistent hunger is an angel of light. Carrying out a, a particular assignment in life with the, with the coming of this possibility into consideration, slowly tensions are relaxed at the center of emphasis is shifted from the hunger itself to what it is meant to deal with it through all the years. And at last a man may say, I know now that there is present in my life a quality that is only mine because of the hunger is mine. In other words, that hunger can make you into a certain type of of person. And I think if we go back to Acts 1 and we really pay attention to what these angels, these messengers of God are saying to the early church and really what they're saying to us, I think it's pretty simple. That God needs you and me to be patient people. And that the followers of God, the followers of our enthroned Lord Jesus Christ, our whole lives are going to be marked by the waiting, the anticipation for the hope and that glory of that moment when Jesus returns. That our whole lives are shaped by waiting for the return of the one who's promised right here. He will come back in the same way he has gone into heaven. He will come back. And so Christians, unlike the rest of the world, are those who above all are waiting for one thing, for Jesus to come back. And if we're waiting for one thing, that makes Christians unfulfilled. And maybe there's a ministry in that. You know, maybe that waiting is making us into the very people God needs us to be to do what He wants to do in this world. He needs patient people. Remember the angels say this, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. You realize that was 2000 years ago. Why is God still making us wait? Since the beginning of the church, Christians have been praying Maranatha, which means come Lord. We see that word in 1 Corinthians 16. And then again, at the very end of the Bible, the whole Bible is moving towards this ending. These are the last sentences in the Bible, Revelation twenty two twenty. He who testifies to these things, Jesus says, "'Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.'" And that's written almost 2,000 years ago. How is it that God is still making us wait? Why is God still making us wait? Why is this dream, this thing we dream for and long for above all else, why are we still waiting on that? There was another minister who ministered in another time of plague. His name is Cyprian. By all accounts, He did a much better job at ministering during plague than I'm currently doing. I was reading about some of the work he did during that time, some of the sermons he gave to a congregation during pandemic. I was struck by what he said to him. This is what he said. Therefore, as servants and worshipers of God, let us show by spiritual homage the patience that we learn from the heavenly teachings for that virtue we have in common with God. Do you hear what he's saying there? He's saying that when you are unfulfilled, when you are patient, remember you're not the only one who's patient. And I'm not talking about like all the people out at Shelby Farms at other places who are gathering in large groups and you want to be with them, but you're trying to be one of those who's holding off. You're not quite ready to do that. That's not the patience I'm talking about. And that's not the solidarity I'm talking about. He's saying that when you practice patience, that you are being aligned with, you are being made like the God who has been patient for his world and creation to return to him since the dawn of time. You know, we think that 2,000 years is a long time to wait. We think 10 weeks is a long time to wait in quarantine. And the message that Cyprian has for his church is that God has been waiting since the creation of the world for those who have turned away from Him to turn back. And sure, God could force it. God could make it happen, but that's not who God is. If we want to know who God is, Cyprian says, God is patience. And if you feel like you're far from God right now, what I want you to hear is that that tug at your heart. You know, that, 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 that pull that you're feeling inside to turn back from God is not from me. That's from God. And that God has been waiting patiently for you to come to Him. But for those who already belong to Him, for our seniors who've given your life to Him, remember, remember that God's design is to make you more and more like Him. Like that's what this life is about, is that God wants to make you like Himself, And maybe that's why we're still waiting. We believe that what we're waiting for, what will be, will be glorious and majestic and that he will return on the cloud and the trumpets will sound and the dead shall be raised. It will be glorious and magnificent. But until then, we're the people who are waiting patiently. And we are the people who have learned from the hunger, from the waiting, to be the people God needs us to be for the sake of his world. And that is patient people. You know, as this church longs for God's justice to be done in this world, we long knowing that that justice will not be complete and whole until Jesus returns. But seniors, what I want you to hear is that until that time, And because we are waiting for that grand and glorious moment, that we have become a kind of people that in this world are extraordinary, that are unlike the rest of those around us. We have become a kind of people who are patient. And that is what you need. You know, you're going to go from home. You're going to schools and to work. You're going to maybe move away into new areas of life, pursuing new things. And here's what's gonna to happen to you. You're gonna run into countless people and things that promise you what you want quicker and easier than we can here at church. But that's, what not, that's not what you need. What you need are the people who have learned how to wait. Because what you've seen in this pandemic is not an anomaly. Like life is going to throw you thousands of curveballs. There are going to be a thousand unfulfilled dreams and hopes in your life. You know, losing your graduation ceremony or your senior party like you had always imagined. It's just the first and a long series of unfulfillments that you will experience in your life. But look around you, look in your home right now. Look online at the faces of those represented in our comment section. Think back to when we were gathered together and you sat with those who are young and old beside you. You want to know what that community was? That community was those who have been unfulfilled in a thousand areas in their life before and have been unfulfilled most in this longing they have for the return of Jesus that has not yet come to pass. But you know what that's made? All those people who sit beside you on Sundays, it's made them patient And it's because God has made us patient that we have anything to offer the world, especially in this moment. So seniors, I want you to hear that we will be here for you. We will be patiently waiting for you as we're patiently waiting on our Lord. And I hope you'll be waiting with us. You're going to take communion right now with your family or by yourself with the Bible. I want you to go deep into this expectation of the return of Jesus. As we think about the body broken, Jesus body broken in the bread, as we think about the blood he shed on the cross, we do so in the full knowledge that he was raised from the dead and that he will return one day. And we wait patiently. In that hope. And if you don't know yet Jesus, if you don't yet know Jesus, if your life feels frantic and out of control right now, if the patience you're hearing me talk about this morning seems like something that is elusive for you and you want to be a part of a people who don't have all the answers, who don't have every hope and dream of theirs fulfilled, but who know how to wait for something glorious and grand, I hope you'll comment. In the comment section, let us talk with you about giving your life to Jesus baptism. Let me pray for you, church. Lord, we love you above all. Make us the people you need us to be. Make us patient for the glorious work that you will do on this earth and for that grand and glorious moment when you return. And until then, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.